Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting a new chapter today. That's always kind of exciting. Now, as we know, not all churches employ the teaching style or method that we do at Calvary Chapel. Something that was handed down to us by our pastor, mentor, founder, Chuck Smith, was the idea of studying the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Pastor Chuck was a great admirer of uh, J. Vernon McGee. How many of you remember uh, another great Bible expositor? And so that's been a, a vision that was handed down by Pastor Chuck going back over 40 years. Actually close to 50 years now, probably, or more. At any rate, so when you teach the Bible in that manner, when you come to a portion of Scripture that might make people uncomfortable, you, you can't skip it. And that's why not all pastors and churches choose to teach this way because they like to have the option of skipping over passages that either they don't like or don't agree with or that may bother some people. And that Pastor Chuck used to tell us, he says, you know, when you teach the Scriptures chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, it prevents you from getting on your hobby horse and riding it. In other words, maybe spending a week or a month, I mean a month or two or three months teaching on giving because you're hoping to boost the finances of the church. So every, every week it's another message having to do with giving or whatever it might be. Or if you're like a Joel Osteen, it's every week it's about you know, self-esteem and, and you're... And, uh, you're going you're gonna to be prosperous, you know, like Marilyn Hickey used to say. You speak to that wallet and you tell that wallet, you're a big, fat, prosperous wallet. And you just ride your hobby horse to the end of time. Well, I don't have that luxury because I've chosen to follow Pastor Chuck's example. And the reason I mention all that today is because I'm about to teach on wives submitting to their husbands. The message every pastor dreads. But I just want to point out before we read this first six verses together that whether you're a man or a woman, and by the way, guys, you'll get yours next week. Whether we're men or women, it's a proven fact. If we obey God and follow the precepts of His Word, we tend to have good lives. Now, there are trials and tribulations as we go through life, but most of the time, the majority of our problems come when we don't obey God and we don't follow the precepts of His Word. So as much as if I say anything this morning, and there will probably be a lot of things, that go against your grain, ladies. And by the way, men, no, none of this, none of this stuff, because like I said, you'll get yours next week. As much as it might, you know rub us raw sometimes. And the Bible says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But just understand, everything in God's Word has been put there for our benefit, for our blessing. You know, that's a sad thing that people in the world who don't know God, and even some people in the church tend to think that God just wants to, to hold us down and suppress us and browbeat us. It's just the opposite. He wants to set us free. He wants to give us freedom in Christ. To be who He created us to be 
and to enjoy life. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That means better than ever before. Better than it could ever be without God in the picture. So let's read this passage and then we'll pray. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. Wives, likewise. Now the likewise is because he's previously been teaching us about submission to authority, whether it's governmental authority, whether it's authority in the workplace, master slaves, bosses and employees and so forth. And so what Peter's trying to show us is that no matter what arena of life we're dealing with, there's always going to be someone that we're going to have to submit to and ultimately we have to submit to God. Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observed your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, now this is really going to get your goat, ladies, calling him Lord, or some translations, Master. Uh, My wife's called me that a couple times, but I guarantee you it was tongue-in-cheek. Whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. title of this message is Sarah's Daughters. Sarah did not have any biological daughters. In fact, her only child was Isaac. But Sarah, down through the centuries, has had many daughters, spiritually speaking. And we'll learn what those daughters are like as we go through this passage today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word. Pray for open hearts and open minds and that we would all learn today from this message. We know that even though it's directed primarily to the wives, we men can learn much from these precepts as well. Bless this time of Bible study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, someone once said, marriage is a wonderful institution. If it weren't for marriage, husbands and wives would have to fight with perfect strangers. Just a little humor there. All right. Likewise, or in the same way, as we discussed, we've previously learned about submission concerning citizens to their governmental authorities, slaves to masters, employee, employer. And it's not about, this is where people get tripped up, I think, so many times. And we're certainly seeing a lot of turmoil in our nation right now with regard to these things. It's not about superiority versus inferiority. It's about respect and submission to God-ordained authority in every arena of life, including marriage. And again, we've given this distinction many times, but uh, this idea of submitting to authority, we draw the line where, no matter who it is, if they're trying to force us to do something that would cause us to disobey God and His Word, something unbiblical, immoral, illegal, 
then you, you need to resist knowing this, that there may be consequences. Depending upon the circumstance or the situation, it could cost you a job. It could cost you a marriage. Not saying that you should go out of your way to break up your marriage. But in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about the believer who's married to the non-believer. And if the non-believer does not want to stay in the relationship, then you're to just peacefully let them depart. There may be times when you draw that line and you do take that stand. For example, I know I've met a number of people through the years, believers, who don't go to church because their unbelieving spouse does not want them to. I don't believe that is an area where you need to submit. Your first responsibility is to God. Maybe you don't want to go to church. Actually, did you know that the scriptures do command you to gather with the saints? It's not optional. Although you don't have to go to church to be saved, if you want to be totally obedient to God, you should be engaging in some kind of corporate worship, fellowship, Bible study. That's biblical. In the book of Hebrews, again, it talks about not forsaking the gathering together of the saints, as some are in the habit of doing. So even in Paul's day, there were those who were not really doing that. But Paul says you shouldn't do that. You need to gather with the saints. And he said, all the more as you see the day approaching. The day he was referring to is the day of the Lord. End times, rapture of the church, tribulation. Paul said, the closer we get to the end, the more important it will be for us to be part of a local body of believers. So that's just one example. You're not being disrespectful to your spouse by saying, no, I'm sorry, I am going to go to church. You're being respectful to God. But there are a lot of other areas where they may not be asking you to be disobedient to God. They might not be asking you to be immoral or do something illegal. And in those areas, God expects us to be submissive to those in authority over us. And by the way, I want to remind you once again, Sometimes you would think from the way people who are in tumultuous or troubled marriages act that they were forced at gunpoint to do it. Anybody here that was forced at gunpoint to get married? Maybe back in the day, the shotgun wedding, you know? Marriage is a choice, ladies and gentlemen, is it not? But see, now we live in a day and age where people want to deny that anything happening in their lives is a result of their own choices. They're just victims. Our society is engulfed in a victim mentality where everything is somebody else's fault. And you know what? When you're living like that, your life's never going to get any better. Until you begin to take responsibility for your own decisions and your own choices. And by the way, I highly recommend you involve God in the process. Get a little godly wisdom and guidance in, in the picture. The Holy Spirit, wisdom, but we make choices. And one of the most important choices, and sadly today people are so frivolous and so flippant about it, one of the most important choices we will ever make in life, number one most important choice, is acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, confessing your sins, repenting, inviting Him to come and live inside of you, and being born again by the Spirit of God. If you haven't made that choice and that decision, honestly, nothing else really matters. Because that has to do with eternity. 
where are you going to spend eternity? But probably the next biggest choice and decision you will ever make is who you marry. I don't think most people really look at it that way. They don't realize it. They don't understand it. I mean, it's a biggie. It's a biggie. And it is a choice. And I'm just trying to make that point. If you don't like the concept of submission, and there is that place in the marriage for mutual submission. We'll get into that later on. I mean, it's not all take by the husband and give by the wife. There is supposed to be give and take and cooperation and compromise. So we're talking about here is, again, not superiority or inferiority. It's God's design. It's kind of like you wouldn't want to put antifreeze in your gas tank and gasoline in your radiator, would you? God has a design for our lives, for marriage, for family, for society. And when we follow God's plan and God's design, things tend to work a lot better. But if you don't like the concept of submission, and here I would have to say first and foremost to the ladies because we are talking about that this morning. Again, the good news, ladies, you don't have to get married. I'm serious. If you don't want to follow God's Word and do what God says you're supposed to do, God never promised you a rose garden. He never told you you're going to get to tiptoe through the tulips. He never said it would be easy. But if you don't like that idea, again, you're going to have to submit to somebody, you know, Bob Dylan. You're going to have to serve somebody, maybe the devil or maybe the Lord. You're going to have to serve somebody. But if you work, if you're not married, you're probably going to have to work full time, although most married women work today as well. You're going to have to submit to your boss. And if you become the boss, you're going to to still have to submit to the CEO or somebody. But if you don't like the idea of being in a marriage relationship with a man and having to submit to him, then you have a choice. You don't have to get married. But it seems like most people want to get married, don't they? In fact, they want to get married so bad, they don't stop to think about the things we're talking about this morning. And when you do something out of desperation or compulsion, it doesn't usually work out very well. There's an old Greek proverb, marry in haste and repent at leisure. Another example would be if you don't don't join the military, if you don't like submitting to authority. We know there's people who join the military, they have a hard time. Submitting to authority, sometimes they're removed from the military, sometimes they're disciplined. But if you don't like submitting to authority, you definitely shouldn't join the military. See, folks, the thing is, we can't really escape this issue of submission because it's relevant to every aspect of our lives. How many of you have heard of that classic book, Heidi? The lady that wrote the book is named Johanna Spiri. And one of the, the lines in the book Heidi, Oh, I wish that God had not given me what I prayed for. It was not so good as I thought. So that's why it's a good idea to really ask God to guide and direct you in your prayers and to be like Jesus and say, Father, nevertheless, 
not my will, but thy will be done. Now again, there are some branches of Christianity, some particular doctrinal positions that tell you if you pray that kind of a prayer, you're lacking in faith. You shouldn't pray, God, if it be your will. You just need to tell God how the cow's going to eat the cabbage. I think that's arrogant and presumptuous, personally. And I don't like the idea of demanding anything from God, because just like Heidi, boy, I wish I wouldn't have gotten what I prayed for. Yeah, I think you can probably, you know, strong-arm God and harass Him to the point where He says, okay, you really, that's what you want? All right, I'm going to let you find out what that's like. Likewise, okay, we've gotten through wives and likewise... Two words. Two more words. Here we go. Be submissive. Ouch. <laughs> Hupotasso in the Greek. Hupotasso. It literally means being under authority. So, in other words, ladies, when you say I do before God and man, before the man that you're marrying, you are agreeing voluntarily to come under his authority. I know that, man, this isn't going to fly in the world, I'll tell you that, and large portions of the church either. But we're not talking about man's opinion, we're talking about God's word. Be under authority. The word carries the force of a command. Same word used in chapter 2, verse 17, for the duty of citizens, and in chapter 2, verse 18, for slaves. And I do want to point out, you've probably already noticed this, the command is for wives to submit to their own husbands, not somebody else's husband. And again, I've seen groups, church groups, religious groups, where there's this attitude amongst the group that the women are to submit to every man in the church. That's not biblical. And that is abusive. And it does happen. But as you know, we can't throw the proverbial baby out with the proverbial bathwater, right? Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And that's a big key phrase here. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Again, I will point out the command does not require women to submit to men in general, but to their husbands as a function of order within the home. Ladies, is it altogether possible that you're smarter than your husband? Let's not get too demonstrative here, okay? Just I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact that that's altogether possible. Could it possibly be that in many ways, I hate to say this, but that you are superior to him? Again, I'll remind you, you chose this inferior dude. Okay? And I think sometimes people do that because they feel better about themselves. Alright? Okay. We're not talking about superiority, inferiority. In fact, 
obviously it makes it a greater challenge, but it also is a greater opportunity for you to display your commitment to God, your obedience to God. In the military, is it possible that the grunt, the soldier, the infantryman, is actually smarter than the officer? That can happen. So does that mean now that the corporal can go up to the lieutenant and say, I'm sorry, man, but I think we both know I'm smarter than you. Therefore, I'm not going to obey your orders. I'm going to, in fact, tell you what to do. How long would you be in the military? Five minutes? And you see, there would be chaos, wouldn't there? They say the cream rises to the top. So if you follow God, obey God, in due season, the Bible says He will lift you up. Maybe one day you will be in charge. You will be that officer. Not because you have forced your way there, but because by obeying God, you put God in the place where He can elevate you. You understand what I'm saying? So, we're talking about order within the home. And so a wife is to accept her place in the family under the leadership of her husband, whom God has placed as the head in the home. One of life's most important lessons is the necessity of submission to the will of God. Therefore, God uses relationships, not just marriage, but this is the one we're primarily focusing on this morning. God uses relationships in daily life as a method of instruction for teaching submissiveness ultimately to Him. And then another interesting part of this verse, one, even if some do not obey the word, And so there are those Bible scholars who believe that Peter is referring to a woman who's married to a non-believer. I think there's two possibilities here. Yes, Peter could very possibly be dealing specifically with the Christian woman married to a non-Christian husband. And by the way, that really shouldn't ever happen unless you were a non-believer also when you got married. The scriptures tell us we're not to be unequally yoked with the non-believers, so... If you're a believer and then you go ahead and marry a non-believer, again, uh, you're disobeying God. I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that was another choice you made that's going to exacerbate your situation. But I think it could also be referring to a so-called Christian man who is not living a life of obedience to God. But we know that never happens, right? By their fruit you shall know them. Now, even if this man claims to be a Christian, but he's not obeying God's word. But again, Peter says, even if some do not obey the word. So, ladies, I'm sorry, but you can't use that excuse. Well, I know I'm not really in submission to my husband, but he's not obeying God. If he's not going to obey God, I'm not going to obey him. Peter says, no, you can't do that. Even if. Some do not obey the word. But even if he's not saved, or even if he's not following God, God still expects you to submit to him, unless, again, in doing so, you're forced to disobey God. And I think that's where, again, a lot of uh, ladies get confused. Some really do try hard to follow God's instructions here, but they go too far, and they actually submit in areas that they shouldn't. And then... 
they don't submit in areas that they should. So how do you know what's right and what's wrong? You've got to be in the Word of God. You've got to be in prayer, be in fellowship. Being in one of the ladies' Bible studies, that's a great place to learn and grow and develop relationships with other women. There's some things, honestly, that we shouldn't discuss with the opposite sex, right? Men need other men that they can bounce things off of, people they can talk to. Ladies need that too. And that's, again, one of the strategies that the enemy has employed in our modern society, our modern urban technological society, is that people don't have as much of that kind of personal interaction as they used to. Again, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. That only happens when you rub up against each other, right? Remember David and Jonathan? We remember David as this great man of God, king, warrior, shepherd. But you've got to wonder, you've got to ask yourself, where would David have been, particularly in his earlier years, without Jonathan? Where would Paul have been without Timothy and so forth? And that is severely lacking in our world today. We need those relationships with people of our gender. Again, that's where a lot of people get in trouble. Guys, if you're discussing your marital problems with another woman other than your wife, you are asking for trouble. Ladies, same thing. We couldn't even begin to count the number of affairs, adultery, divorces that happen as a result of men talking about their marital problems with women and women talking about their marital problems with men. It's a setup. It's a recipe for disaster. Even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Rarely, if ever, and this can apply on both sides, Rarely, if ever, does anyone change from someone nagging, bugging, or pressuring them. Usually it creates the opposite effect. We tend to bristle and buckle and push back when somebody is trying to force us to do something or be something, don't we? It's human nature. But showing them Jesus through your own lifestyle will give room for the Holy Spirit to convict him or her. There's that old expression, actions speak louder than words. And so ladies, or guys, either one, whereas you may think the way to affect change in your spouse's life, and by the way, just because you think they need to change doesn't mean God wants to change that particular aspect of who they are. God may be leaving that aspect in place in order to teach you and mold you and shape you as iron sharpens iron, you see? You're trying to change them. We all should really be focused on how does God want to change me? But I guarantee you, the best way to effect change, godly change, change that God wants to take place in that person's life is by you emulating Jesus. Without a word. This uh, lady once, uh, her and her husband had gone to see the marriage counselor. The counselor says, okay, ma'am, you go first. She lays out her side of the story. She goes, well, that's my side of the story. Now let me tell you his. 
And I've been in that counseling session before. Okay, so they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2. All right, we're in verse 2 now. When they observed your chaste conduct or your purity. So what does that look like, ladies? Well, I know that, uh, again, it, it isn't exclusive to females, but it seems like to a large degree they're the ones who are most attracted to things like soap operas, desperate housewives, romance novels. And again, extramarital affairs can happen on either side. That's certainly not a way to win your husband over. Well, I wanted to get back at him. I wanted to show him a thing or two. I wanted to teach him a lesson, so I went out and had an affair. That is not chaste conduct or purity. That's not going to win him over. And again, this, we do live in a society today where there's an awful lot of sensual and suggestive clothing being worn. And I know, I remember all the way back, we're talking probably 45 years ago or even a little longer. We were at a high school summer camp. Multiple churches, multiple youth groups, Baptist summer camp, Forest Home. And uh, I forget what passage of scripture we were studying, but in this meeting, this subject came up about, you know, girls dressing in a way that, you know, gets guys stirred up. And of course, the girls fought back really hard and said, well, he shouldn't be looking. Well, I don't know what you expect, ladies. Do you expect us to go around wearing a blindfold or what? When women go around letting it all hang out. That's an old song. Let it all hang out. And then you tell us guys don't look. I think that's a little bit lopsided, unfair, hypocritical. And so again, if your husband... It's like that old Kenny Rogers song. Oh, Ruby, don't take your love to town. He's sitting there. He's a paraplegic. She's getting all gussied up and getting ready to go hit, you know, the hot spots, the night spots. And he knows it's not for him. And he's begging her, don't do that. Don't get all gussied up and then go off to town to look for, you know, somebody to hook up with. And boy, I've seen that so many times in a marriage Things aren't going that great. And all of a sudden, overnight, the wife, man, she is dressed to the hilt. She used to go around in her, you know, sweatpants and fuzzy slippers and, you know, curlers in her hair. And now, oh boy, she looks like a million bucks. But none of that stuff is being directed towards the, okay, you're in big trouble here, folks. You're in big trouble. Your chaste conduct, your purity. It's pretty hard to win him to Jesus if you don't act like Jesus. Now, in a moment, I'm going to point out the fact we don't want to go to the other extreme. Peter is not encouraging women to be frumpy and unattractive because that's certainly not going to do a whole lot for your marriage either. But let's move on. Verse 2, where they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to be afraid of your husband. It means reverence. It means respect. So you're not doing it spitefully. You're doing it because, first of all, you have respect for God, 
and this is how God has told you to behave. Granted, it's, it's really hard to, to do this purely for the sake of your husband. You've got to have God in the mix. You've got to have God in the picture because whenever your husband falls short, which will happen on a regular basis, we all fall short. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. What enables you to do this is that ultimately you love God, you respect God, and we'll see in a moment, you trust Him. That's what enables you to do this. Accompanied by fear or reverence, respect for God and for your husband. Not because your husband's perfect, but because God has given him to you and placed him in that position of leadership in the home. It's just like those who say, well, I may not like the president that we have right now or the one we had before, but I respect the office. God's calling upon you to respect the office that your husband holds. Verse 3. Wow, we're moving along at a good clip now. I still don't think we'll get all the way through. But that's what happens when you're trying to eat a steak, right, Randy? You can't rush it. You'll, you'll choke. It'll get stuck in the throat. Esophagus. Better just to take it slow and enjoy it. And I know you're all really enjoying this. Aren't you? At least I know the men are. Okay, now here we do get to this outward adornment. Verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Peter did not state that women should not wear jewelry and nice clothes. He is definitely not promoting frumpiness. When you go to the other extreme... Sloppy, unkempt, unwashed, saggy sweats, fuzzy slippers, masculine appearance. Which again, the enemy is trying to sow that into our society today and weave that into our society with this transgender thing and men looking like women and looking like men. This is all part of the devil's plot and plan to bring down the human race. God made us different for a reason, for many reasons. That can, in my opinion, can be just as sinful as what Peter's describing here. And it goes for men as well. The New American Standard Bible says it like this. Let not your adornment be merely external. Merely external. Not only. So his point is that Christian wives should not think of outer attire and appearance, hair, makeup, etc. as the ultimate source of genuine beauty. This is the world's viewpoint, isn't it? And the world's approach. And the world, this world we live in, is filled with outwardly gorgeous women who are actually vile and ugly inside. And it doesn't take long before that ugliness begins to ooze out to the surface. I believe what Peter's trying to tell you. You should take at least as much time and actually more to develop your inner beauty as your outward. I mean, some of these guys that buy and sell cars or houses and, you know, flip things to make money, they'll take something that looks bad on the outside, paint it, make it look nice. The car could be a piece of junk, but it's got a brand new beautiful paint job, and you go, oh, man, this is gorgeous. I want this car. Five miles down the road, the engine falls out. 
That's what it's like when we base our entire decision, our entire choice on someone's outward appearance. We even see this happen with with elections and politics. People voting for the person that they think is more attractive physically. Personally, I I never got turned on by Bill Clinton. And I don't know why women did, but they... They sure did, and some of them still seem to be that way. He's falling apart big time. Okay, verse 4. Woo! Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Rather, as opposed to, as opposed to having a primary focus or an overemphasis on outward beauty. Again, Peter's not telling women to not pay any attention at all to their physical appearance, but he's saying the priority should be the inward beauty. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. The real you is not what people see outwardly, but what God sees inwardly. 1 Samuel 16, 7. And God is speaking to Samuel regarding Saul who turned out to be a big bust, as we know, as a king. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. You know, one of the things that caused the people to choose Saul, he was taller than everybody else. The Jewish people, particularly in ancient times, were pretty short. And when a tall guy showed up, they were really impressed. I've had people over the years who've heard me on the radio. We used to be on the radio many years ago in early days of the church. And they would come to the church and they'd go, Oh, You sounded a lot taller. I thought you'd be blonde. I mean, you are from Southern California, aren't you? That kind of thing. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when we're making these important choices, like I said, probably the most important choice you'll ever make besides receiving Christ, might be a good idea to ask God, Lord, help me see into this person's heart. Show me their heart. Because all I can see is the outward, but you see the inward. And by the way, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me And lead me in the way everlasting. You see, ladies, gentlemen, if you're beautiful on the inside, it will make its way to the surface. Outward beauty can be very ugly if there's ugliness inside. In fact, there's an old song. A lot of song references today. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. If, if you want to be happy, here's what to do. Get an ugly woman to marry you. Just saying. I did not write that song. How many of you have ever heard that song? Quite a few. Now I lucked out. I hit a home run. I got the whole package. 
You know, sometimes I make jokes, and I don't mean it that way, but I guess a lot of people take it that I'm kind of, you know, slamming my wife or whatever, but actually, when I make those comments, it's me that I'm pointing the finger at. Because she is definitely my better half. We know that expression, right? So I just want to make that point today. Okay. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. And he speaks here of incorruptible, unfading beauty. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Incorruptible or unfading. That's another word that's used in some translations. You see, whereas outward beauty fades. If you have a mirror in your house, you know that. Not just girls, guys. We all fade with time. The inner beauty that God works into your lives, our lives gets more and more wonderful through the years. If we're walking in submission to Him and obedience to Him and we're growing in Christ, that inner beauty that He works within us, it just gets better and better. And Peter defines it here for the ladies as having a gentle and quiet spirit. This is how Peter characterizes this inner beauty. And there are some scriptures that reflect the opposite. Proverbs 21.9 Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And again, we talked about this earlier. Rarely, if ever, does anyone change because we nag them, harass them, bug them. And the sad thing is, what you're really wanting, you're wanting relationship, you're wanting communication, you're wanting a good marriage, but by your very actions you're creating just the opposite. I wish we could see that more clearly, all of us. That we realize what we desperately want, we're actually subverting that, and what we're doing is counterproductive. Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. I'm not saying, ladies, that your husband might, might not be a mean son of a gun. I hope and pray that he's not, but he might be. But a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It does take two people to have a good fight, right? Now, maybe if you don't fight back, they get mad at you for not fighting back. But it's still better than fighting back. Often women get angry or upset because their husbands don't want to talk. And that's understandable. Communication's a big deal. But sometimes the best communication is a smile, a hug, kiss on the cheek. Or if you want to really get crazy, a kiss on the lips. Or just to sit peacefully with him while he reads or engages in some other activity. I know that's frustrating, but sometimes that's the best way to communicate with him and show him your love. Let me tell you something. I am a man... Therefore, I know whereof I speak. The most important thing to a man, ladies, is just knowing that you're there for him. So sometimes if you... You you might get frustrated because he doesn't want to talk as much as you do. And you might think, well, he doesn't care whether I'm here or not. I guarantee you he cares. And if a man believes that his wife is really backing him, behind him, supporting him, he tends to believe that he can conquer the world. And that's proven true down through history. 
But I hope, ladies and gentlemen, you're both encouraged by this. And I encourage you to, you know, talk to God about these things. Search the scriptures on your own. I'm trying to present to you what I believe is a biblical balanced approach. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, whether you're a man or a woman, when we adhere to the truth of God's word, when we walk in obedience to God, it may not always be that comfortable for us, especially at first. You know, the Bible uses analogies like a bridle that God wants to have the reins to our heart, the reins to our life. And when you first go to break a horse, they're not real excited about the bridle and the saddle and all that, right? But that's how it is for men and women. As we come under submission to God and to Jesus Christ, we're like wild horses being broken. We're used to doing things our own way, whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. When we come to Christ, we have to realize and recognize that now, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You think the yoke of God is tough. It's nothing compared to the yoke of the devil. But it does require some getting used to giving God the reins, letting Him steer and direct your life in areas where you may, in your own flesh, you don't like that. I don't want to do that. Just like the horse, you know. And even when Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, He said, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, Jesus Christ? He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, and the shepherd's staff was pointed on one end. Did you know that? And he used it to poke the sheep. It might hurt a little bit, but the idea is the shepherd is trying to guide the sheep in the right direction. And that's what God's trying to do here in this passage. And like I said, it'll probably be the week after next now. But don't worry, guys. Don't worry, ladies. The guys will get theirs, okay? Let's stand. Father God, we do thank you for your word and the wisdom and guidance that you give us. And Lord, I would like to, on behalf of everyone here today, male and female, repent for the many times when we don't walk in obedience to your word. And we do create problems for ourselves and for those around us. Father, help us all to take responsibility for our own choices and decisions. And Lord, that you would enable us, where necessary, to repent for the bad choices we've made. And Lord, that's really all you're asking. You don't want to browbeat us for our bad choices and our bad decisions. You want to help us. You want to repair our lives in the areas that we need repair. And in the areas where we're doing well, you want us to do even better. You've come, Lord Jesus, that we might have life and life more abundantly. So Father, I pray that no one here would be discouraged because... It's a little bit difficult sometimes when we begin to look at some of our life choices and decisions and we realize we've really messed up. The good news, Lord, you have promised in your word you would restore the years the canker worm have eaten. God, you are a God of new beginnings, fresh starts, and second chances. And so I pray for anyone here today who may be in the midst of a troubled relationship, a troubled marriage, that today they would turn to you They would turn over a new leaf, as it were, and decide that they're going to include you going forward from this point forward and allow you to come in as the great physician 
and do a healing work in their lives and their marriage, other relationships, and that they're going to commit to you today, God, to start trying to make better choices, better decisions, and to include you in those choices and decisions and seek the wisdom and guidance and direction of your Holy Spirit. Father, for anyone else that has a need of any kind here today, we know that you are the answer and we pray that they would seek your help today because you are here to help us, to strengthen us, to support us, to heal us, to guide and direct us. So we ask your blessing upon this ministry time now as we close our service this morning with our final worship song. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.